Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film. My name is Anna Smith. So our first guest today is a radio host on BBC Asian Network and an expert in Indian cinema. Please welcome Ashanti Omkar. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ashanti. Take a seat. Thanks very much. Our next guest is no stranger to those of you who are regular at home. She's a speaker, an author, and an Associate Dean of Research and Innovation at the University of Salford. She is Dr. Kirsty Faircloth. Welcome to you both. I'll start with you, Ashanti. Tell us a little bit more about what you do because your bio is very long and impressive. I'll keep it short. I've been termed as an expert in Indian cinema because I cover everything from Bollywood to the other parts of India, which is South India. And my radio show covers mainly the four languages of South India, Tamil, Telugu, Malayalam and Kannada. And it also covers Sinhalese from Sri Lanka. So it's quite vast. Uh, India produces some 2,000 films a year and South India has a thousand of those. <laughs> it's, it's quite a lot. Obviously, we don't get all of those on our screens, but quite a big selection comes on. So I think I kind of started off doing only music and I've, I now do a lot of film as well. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Kirsty. let's have a quick chat with you. You're a pop culture expert, among many other things, correct? Apparently so, yes. So um, I work at the University of Salford and I've been teaching film and media studies for God, nigh on 20 years now. And I've worked with home for uh, many, many years. So uh, co-curating uh, seasons and doing lots of events and uh, mainly sur- around women in film and representations of gender in pop culture generally, really. I feel like I've got the right panel tonight. In fact, we've <laughs> always got the right panel. We're going to start with some current releases, so decide whether or not we can recommend them to you. Our first one is a very intriguing documentary. It's called Seahorse, The Dad Who Gave Birth. It's directed by Jeannie Finlay. It's a documentary about a British trans man, Freddie McConnell, and his struggle to conceive and deliver his own child. Let's have a look at the trailer. When I took the first vial of testosterone, Quite quickly, I was being read as male all the time. It's not about more male because more valid. It's just, this is me. He just said, I'm a boy and I want to be a boy. And I did think, oh my God, that means I won't have grandchildren from Freddie. I've always wanted to have kids one day. Not only women feel broody. I'm going to have my own baby and I will be the dad. I love being pregnant. Everyone should experience it, shouldn't they? Especially men. Seriously, awful. (laughs) If men had to go through this all the time, you'd just never hear the end of it. This is a film about me having a baby. But what I feel like I'm going through isn't me having a baby or pregnancy. It's like total loss of myself. So that was Seahorse, a fascinating film, as you can see. I mean, it's utterly compelling premise. I think, uh, as you get from this, it's interesting that he is presented as a man from the very off. 
you know, right from the start. So you're not really shown pictures of him when he was living as a girl. You're shown straight on in there. So it is quite an arresting, perhaps contradiction. Um, and I found I had a range of emotions watching the film. He also seemed kind of slightly naive at first about the journey he was going on. But the journey says a lot about gender and parenthood. I mean, Kirsty, you're a mother. What was your mm. first response to this? And did it change as you watched the film? Um, well, being a mother aside for a moment, I just thought it was the most tender and delicate and beautiful exploration of a really complex subject that I've I mean I was blown away by the whole way that uh, Jeannie Finley approached the the documentary just in a very gentle way and allowed Freddie to tell his own story I completely connected um, with him from the off I just thought it was so beautifully told and uh, just gave him space to really explore what it meant to him as a, a person um, to have that deep desire and that deep need to to have a child. But what I think was um, also just just really interesting, and you've just mentioned it, is his naivety. It's like I don't think he had a clue what he was letting himself in for. Well, clearly not. And then it was it was just the kind of surprise and the shock and the range of emotions that I just thought was was just so um, beautifully portrayed. And he makes a few really interesting points, one of which we, we saw in the trailer there, which was, you know, if, if all men got pregnant, it would be taken so much more seriously. Exactly. Ashanti, how did you feel that kind of reflected on the, the sort of gender dynamic we have in society? I saw that bit and I just thought, you know what, this guy has hit the nail on the head because he presents himself completely male. And what he went through and the hormonal changes, I think that's the major part that if you've never had a child, you None, none, you know, I've never had a child, so I don't even understand it. And watching that really brought all of that to life. And it was very, it was very stark. And there was so much detail to it. Yet they made it look very breezy. And it was presented in a very beautiful package. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's very accessible. I hope it's the kind of film that will change some people's minds if they end up seeing it. Maybe they wouldn't go and see it in the cinema. But if it comes onto TV, people might find themselves, hopefully, challenging preconceptions. Yeah, I think um, it's just that sense of tenderness that she put into the whole um, construction of the documentary. And I watched it with my mum and I thought, oh, I don't know how this is going to, you know, I don't know if she's going to be into this. And then afterwards she was going, I just feel like I need to email Freddie just to check. I just want to make sure that, you know, that everything's all right. And she just really connected with it. And I thought it was so, so kind of sweet that she was, that it had such, because I think she made the documentary with such empathy. It was, you just had to, you know, feel for that kind of the whole journey it is a very human story and it's told with great tenderness and indeed the mother in the film could not be more accepting and amazing and that must be a really tough thing however broad-minded you are to deal Mm. with your own child Mm. and I thought yeah that she was such a wonderful example wasn't she Mm. Um, now Kirsty you're actually curating a season here at home which includes Jeannie Finley's films tell us a bit more about that indeed so we're just uh, working on it at the moment it's going to be in January next year called In Her View and it's going to be a mini season of films looking at female documentary makers so Jeannie Finley's going to feature in that along with um, some others like Shirley Clark and Barbara Koppel so yeah should be good fantastic so Seahorse Dad Who Gave Birth is in cinemas now and it's showing as part of Bird's Eye View's Reclaim the Frame season go to seahorsefilm.com to find out where it's shown near you Let's move on to another film. This time we're going to Norway, a Norwegian family drama. It's very female focused and it's called Phoenix. Uh, It's Camilla Strom Henriksen's debut film. Phoenix is about a girl trying to celebrate her 14th birthday in a small Oslo apartment. Her mother is mentally ill, however, her father's absent and her younger brother is pretty much in her 
care has a kind of mysterious vibe to it. I find it very interesting because it kind of starts as if you think it's a social realism drama, you know, looking at the relationship between a girl and her mother. Her father's hopefully coming home for her birthday, but she doesn't know if he will. But there's all this kind of ominous music and it's kind of pointing you in the direction of a thriller. Now, we can't go into spoilers, but Ashanti, let's start with you. Tell me about how you read the tone of it. I mean, what genre would you put this in? Well, I, I've got to say, the music aside, for me, I felt from watching it that this was a, a social drama. I felt that they had, you know, they'd really looked into every little detail of this life. And it's a slice of life that's been told very, very, very meticulously. And I, I really like that. And yes, you're right. The music was slightly, for me, it threw me off a little bit because I was wondering why was something dark lurking around the corner. I wanted to, to find out more, but it also kept me gripped. So I wonder if that was a technique that was used just so that you're sitting there saying, I just want to know what happens. Is it like, you know, like a get out type film where you're saying, is this a horror film? is this social commentary and this this certainly you know I, well it wasn't wasn't a horror film but it was certainly an interesting interesting social commentary on how there are teenagers who have to look after their younger siblings and they are the people who have to become the mother and i've heard this i've had lots of personal stories friends who've had to become the parent and this this really uh, really hit home Kirsty, what did you make of it? Did you, what kind of genre would you put it in? Um, again, it's a curious mix, I think. It was kind of magic realism at points. There was were a bit really, of that, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. And quite Bergman-esque with, the, with many of the characters. I really liked it, and I thought the central character, um, Jill was an incredible. I believe that's her acting debut. I mean, she I couldn't get the fact that she, she looked like Taylor Swift out of my head, but that aside... Um, she does look a bit she, like Taylor I, I just kept seeing every time I saw her, but I thought she was uh, astonishing. I thought it was a really, really impressive debut. I mean, it's deeply depressing in terms of the subject matter and, you know, had the failings of the both of her parents. It was really difficult to watch, but in terms of genre, yeah, it was a bit kind of all over the place, but I kind of enjoyed that yeah I think it's worth seeing in cinemas if you're a fan of art house female driven fair and exactly. obviously we love supporting female directors so go see Phoenix it's in cinemas September the 13th now we're moving on to what's showing here at home in Manchester and Shanti we asked you here for a reason we'd ask you here anyway but you're particularly useful today because you are an expert in Bollywood and beyond and home are doing a not just Bollywood season it's part of the celebrating women in global cinema season which we are also a part of it's a celebration of contemporary Indian culture and it spotlights some of the best examples of Indian independent films directed by women Yay. And those include Sir Nandav Bow in Search of Silence and Lipstick Under My Burka. Ashanti, can I, can I also please. throw in the Elements trilogy is showing also? By is that Deepa highly Mehta. recommended from you? Highly recommended. Okay. Do not miss it because it, it just brings to life different three different facets of, of Indian life that you had never seen before and made by a woman. Brilliant. <laughs> so tell us more about how this works as an alternative to Bollywood cinema. 
so with Bollywood, there's there's a generic template that's used in what is classed as a, a Bollywood film. So it'll be in Hindi language and it'll have most of the time five songs, uh, you know, with big lavish dance scenes. It'll have fights, you know, at least five if they can manage it and a lot of melodrama. Right. <laughs> and this is me just making it very succinct and saying what what we look at as Bollywood. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of masala, as we call it. You know, it's a mixture of all these different things you want to go there and feel many different things and and have a lot of fun with it. So this this uh, season has been programmed very differently and kudos to the uh, to the programmer because over the years they've been bringing it to to home in Manchester. I've kind of followed the journey and thought this is this is really great because they're looking at the alternative films. Most of them are still in Hindi, so it can be confused for being Bollywood because you'll you'll see something like lipstick under my burqa and you'll see one or two people there who are already in Bollywood and and you'll think oh I don't know there's a girl who looks like she's singing <laughs> so you'll think it, it fits that mold but actually this film is so far removed and yes I mean India does produce so many very different films and I think it's great that this sub-selection that doesn't get into our UK screens because the biggest Bollywood films the biggest Tamil films the biggest Telugu films Punjabi films Urdu films from Pakistan they all do make it to the cineplexes around the UK a lot of these films don't. Some of them are being seen for the first time or they've been shown at a festival and here it is, you know, at, at home. So I'd missed uh, Lipstick under my broker and I, I got to see it. A film like Sir, for example, again, highly recommended. It's showing here. Great season. Should we have a look at a clip from uh, Lipstick under my broker? So as you can see from that, it's quite a comedic film. I don't, I think it's a little bit cheesy around the edges, not not the perfect film, but it certainly was educational for me because it was very different to what I'd known as Bollywood cinema. And there's a lot of sex in it. How was this received in India, Ajanti? Well, they didn't want it to release for a start. <laughs> this uh, this sort of subject matter always upsets censor boards. And, you know, that, that kind of served as a great publicity campaign for this film because then everybody wanted to see it. And, you know, it's happened, happened many times, but it's more wonderful that a woman had made this film and it was about four women. And, you know, someone like Konkuna Sen Sharma, who's in this film, she's also made another film that's at the home season called Death in the Gunge. And she's amazing as an actress. She's always proven her, her acting chops. Her mother is a great female director, Aparna Sen, from India. And then, you know, she, she does a, a film like this and then she directs a film like Death in the Gunge and, you know, you see these different facets. And it's it's really interesting that a film like this then had so much opposition and then it did come out and it was well received all over the world. So it's, it's great that people want to see an alternative and I think they liked the Bollywood type gloss around this film because the film does have all those elements it's just told in a very different way and Ratna Patak you know to see an, an older woman who you know who who doesn't have a man in her life what are her desires and the racy I mean that's that's what upset the senses the most the racy novel that she's reading and that serves as a narrative throughout the film and she has kind of phone sex and I see an older woman enjoying phone sex with a much younger man yes very <laughs> Very, very interesting and quite groundbreaking. Kirsty, you watched this one. What did you make of it from a gender perspective? Yeah, firstly, it's a really important film because it, certainly in Indian cinema narratives, it kind of subverts the male gaze in a really important way. So for that, 
absolutely, you know, I really enjoyed it because of that alone. However, I didn't really connect with the characters in the way that I'd hoped. I think I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. And actually, I was a little bit, yeah, disconnected from it. And uh, I was kind of surprised by my kind of reaction to it. But in terms of the importance of it, I think it's absolutely, it's, you know, it's really groundbreaking and, you know, an important piece of work. So Holmes, uh, Not Just Bollywood season, runs from Wednesday, the 11th of September to Wednesday, the 2nd of October, 2019. So lots of treats in store here at home. So do come back and see them soon. I saw a very, very powerful film recently. Um, It's about war from a female perspective. And it's showing here tonight at home as well as around the country. It's framed as a letter to the daughter of the director and it's called For Sama. Let's have a look at the trailer. Please welcome to the stage the director for Sama Wad Akatib. Words, congratulations on the film. Like everyone, I was extraordinarily moved by this. Um, you were reporting for Channel 4 News inside Warton Aleppo in Syria, and this became your first feature film. A lot of Fragments of film which perhaps you hadn't intended to use became this amazing, heartfelt, personal, wonderful documentary. What inspired you to do this and to frame it as a letter to your daughter? Uh, thank you first for being here and for everyone. It's really like so honored to be today. Uh, when I left Aleppo in 2016 and we were just forced to bl- displace out, uh, I was so desperate and I was thinking about everything I've did at the news, like didn't make any real change in our life in Aleppo. And the situation just like went through darkness more and more. And I felt that maybe no need to do anything more about journalism or media or documentary or whatever. But then I felt like I have all this material. I'm alive now. I'm survive. And of course, this is for a reason. If I don't know what this reason, I will look for that. And that's why we did for summer. Now, you're a journalist who is a part of the community, and that strikes me as something that is such an important part of this film. How do you think being a neighbour to everyone that you were filming and invested in their lives sort of infected the way that you filmed and the relationship that you had with them? At the beginning, like just being a female filmmaker, I know that this is so challenging. I know that this is if I was a a female filmmaker everywhere around the world, it would be like a lot of difficulties. And I had it, but the things that I've never thought I will have it, that the access and the people feeling of being like speaking to you as you, not about like journalist, just being part of that community, like going to the market to buy my things or being like pregnant and have the camera and speak with the people. It gives me a lot of like really easy access for these people because most of the like all of them who was really stayed in Aleppo, they were just male journalists. And that's not gives any comfortable for other women to speak about their experience. And also having Sama and being like sometimes pregnant, like with these people to speak with, they, they will be like more sharing things with you because you know, they know that you are feeling really what they are speaking about. 
And that's what I felt like I wasn't really a journalist. I was just a normal woman living with these people and I had that access to their life. It's probably worth explaining to people that you became pregnant while you were there and you were filming and, of course, Summer was born there. So for people to be seeing you pregnant and then to, to get to know your daughter and you must have made a big difference. Does it feel different for you behind the camera and did that give you greater strength to have the camera in your hand? In that situation, when you are there, you don't know like what to do, really. It's just uh, like high risk around you all the time about like you could be killed at any moment. And then like thinking about your husband, your child, everyone around. And you don't know this when it will be finished or what level they will stop. So just like being there filming, you have a reason to why you are there. And you have such a wonderful like a feeling that you are doing something really important and you know that if you didn't really film this it will just be not known at all and just continue doing this I felt every minute that I would be killed like after a while and just this while about like invest my time of being I will film this before I would be killed and that's why I've just like kept like filming and filming and there was no plan at all to make any documentary or anything I was just like thinking, okay, I will capture as much as I can. And then like someone outside will get this footage and do something. Wow. And you it really was, thought it would be that yeah. way, like found and footage. Exactly. Yeah. And I was very shocked when I was like, oh, I'm survived now. I need to do something with this footage. And I have that responsibility now to really live again what I've lived through and do something really different. Well, we are just so thrilled that you're alive to be here today and to have your own girls on film. And Thank you. it's very interesting that it's, you know, you didn't film it intending it to be a film. But now a lot of people are rightly saying, this is fascinating because it's a female point of view on war. And you so rarely see that. And, um, you know, even news, news footage, we're so often used to having a kind of very authoritative sort of voiceover, but you have a very personal voiceover. And you put us in your shoes. And I think that's one of the reasons that I was crying throughout. It makes you think of the horrors of war, not just in Aleppo, but as they've happened from the beginning of time and sadly continue to happen today. So congratulations on that. I mean, what kind of feedback have you had and how does it feel? It was really great. Like really three months before we show the film the first at South by Southwest in America, we were like sitting doing the last voiceover again and again. And many people told us before that people are really tired from serious story. They don't want to hear anything about like war again or refugee wow. or like death or blood. And we were really very terrifying that I know this is very important story, but I know that it's just for me. I don't know if other people will be really interested. And at the first screening, I was really sitting through the audience, like waiting how many people will leave. And we were really like shocked that really no one left. <laughs> and really until now, I have that feeling in my mind, like in every screening, I feel, OK, this is, will be bad. And then it's not. So it was just really great. It's an astonishing film, honestly. Uh, congratulations. And I think what is lovely about it, it shows the incredible resilience of people in the worst of circumstances. And you managed to capture some moments of happiness. What were moments that make you smile when you watch the film back today? Uh, like It's nearly everything. Even like some of the, unfortunately, the horror that we have. Like I feel sometimes like I, I should smile because we were survived. I should be smiled because I capture this and I continue capturing that. And now people can really see that. The main things about the whole idea of the film that unfortunately what we've went through three years ago, it's still happening until now. And that's like the film is one side, but the other side that we need to take action after watching any film. 
all the other films as are really important really great and all of them they have like one way to to make a change in our life maybe it's about the awareness or maybe it's about really real action to change people's lives and that's what we really need from cinema and from films this is an essential film as i said so please everyone see it tell your friends it's out on 13th of september the special screenings already happening we thought now would be a good time to have an audience q a because the audience might have some questions for you but also my fellow panelists have seen the film and that like me they've been in bits all day so ashanti actually do you want to start with a question we'll see if the audience got anything oh, for, for me having seen it i i completely resonated i, I bumped into what earlier and i was just saying to her because i was born in sri lanka and it's a country that's gone through you know civil war and i think we've never been able to see this side of of a story obviously there have been children born there and the fact that you had that camera rolling and you decided to capture as much of it i felt was it it just i i have goosebumps just just thinking about it it's a beautiful film please 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 all go and watch it any response from you Kirsty, your question yeah absolutely i i just want to say thank you for making it it's it is essential viewing and also as a mum I completely yeah so many elements of that I can't even imagine what you and uh, your family went through so yeah it's it's really is an incredible incredible documentary. Um, has anyone here got a question for what? Hi um, I suppose what I wanted to ask was have you had any reactions that really surprised you from audiences around the world or particular audiences about the film? Like one of the great things about the audience, we've went to many, many places with the film and it was really very different layers of people who like are in the industry or just like normal people from the street. And the shocked things and the surprise things, which is really great that you feel that all people have the same feeling exactly and it's just a united reaction. And the great question always in every screening, which really make me feel that I, I did it, it's when people ask me, like, what can we do? People not just watch and move, but really they they have some, like they are angry and they want to transfer this anger to something really important and make difference, which feel, you know, like there's still hope in this world, whatever, like all the countries is going for very dark maybe or a little bit of darkness, but it's still like people really need to act and need to do something. What can we do? It's like the first and easiest things now to share the film and speak to people to go and watch and really go and feel one hour and a half of normal life in Syria. And just like the fact that it's still happening until now, we've uh, uh, trying to build an impact campaign about stop bombing hospitals, which unfortunately it should be something like we all agree to, but it's still happening until now. And we've trying to reach like the UN, the Congress, the Parliament here in the UK and just go to as much as we can as decision makers, tell them to come and be in my shoes in one hour and a half and try to see like what life look like in a place like Syria and just like make an action now because it's still happening and we need to stop that. Well, well thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And best of luck with the film for summer. Thank you so much. Right, we are now moving on to um, Juliet Binoche films. Um, so we're doing this because Mubi are having a season of Juliet Binoche films. They're calling it The Woman with a Thousand Faces. She really is an extraordinary actress, I think. You know, everyone's always going on about Isabelle Hubert, who is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, she's fantastic. But i got to say, I think Juliette Binoche is one of the greatest. Just, as they say, a woman with a thousand faces. Just the amount of expressions that can go 
significantly through her face in a moment that say so much. Um, I, I interviewed her a few years ago and I interview a lot of famous people and this has never happened to me before, but I came into the room and I just thought I knew her because she's always, I think it struck me because she's so good. I just went, oh, hi, as if like, I've never met her before. But it just had this sense that she was so familiar because every role she'd inhabited so perfectly. So I've asked each of you to choose a favourite Binoche film. Kirsty, what is your choice? Mm. Oh, well, there's so many. I love her. I think she's fabulous. It's the intensity, I think of her performances which are just brilliant in everything that she does and she's just so incredibly versatile but has that she's like the I don't know auteurist actor I don't know we could go there with that but maybe I won't I'm gonna actually choose a bit of a a film that does get panned quite a lot Damage which is uh, the film that she was um, starting with Jeremy Irons based on the Josephine Hart novel I think she was just so intensely beguiling in that film the film in many ways the narrative isn't great and uh i think it was set it out the story a little yeah bit so it, it was about um it's a story of a british conservative minister played by jeremy irons who has embarks on a torrid affair with um his son's fiance played by juliette binoche so and there's some very bizarre sex scenes in there and it's kind of the storyline i suppose isn't isn't great in many respects it's a bit kind of odd but i just thought who is this absolutely captivating woman i just really thought her performance just carried Everybody else, really. Apparently, it was a really difficult production of the film. There were lots of arguments on set. Yes, yeah, she didn't um, get on very well. With yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. But but I, I I just I think I'd also seen in the seen her in the unbearable lightness of being previous to that, and then I think she turned down Spielberg, didn't she? In between for um, Jurassic Park, I believe. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Can you can you see her? In yeah, Jurassic and then Park? she I think she turned down Spielberg, and then she got um, it was the Three Colors uh, trilogy with the cho- the choice she actually made. So she's very clever in her choices as well. But in this in Damage, I just think she um, yeah, over and above everybody else in it, she just um, was just so intensely uh, watchable and just so yeah, very beguiling in terms of the, the she's magnetic. Isn't she? Yeah, and I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think the word I'd use is tawdry damage but but in a good way you yeah, know, if you want like is, a sunday night tawdry film yeah they say weird sex with jeremy islands which which is a lot of his films actually to be yeah fair. i was quite surprised um, that maybe had um actually included it because i thought oh well, it gets you know it does get kind of panther much and i was quite i was like oh well it's quite nice that actually that this you know to sit to see that film it's on, quite on broad-minded list, it was, of them. it's because yeah, yeah, they often fun. do a lot of art house stuff but yeah it is on the more commercial and, and slightly quirky yeah, side exactly um we've got a total contrast from ashanti's choice here it is in the english language let's have a look at a clip and see if people recognize it He wants us to move out. He says there could be 50 more mines in the building. He thinks I'm mad because I laugh at him. He's Indian. He wears a turban. No, he's Sikh. If he wears a turban, he's Sikh. I'll probably marry him. Really? That's sudden. My mother always told me I would summon my husband by playing the piano. Anyone tell me what that is? English patient, correct. Yes, very good. So Ashanti, why did you choose the English patient? Because it's the most famous film she's in. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the only one you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that and chocolate. Two films that I, or chocolat, I should yeah, say. Chocolat. chocolat. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, this, uh, this film for me, 
I had not known of many adaptations from a man of Sri Lankan descent. And, you know, uh, Michael Undachi is, uh, is a Sri Lankan man who had written the story for this. So that immediately had it on my list of things to watch back in the day. And for me, this scene you picked, in fact, I feel like you, you read my mind <laughs> and picked it because this is the perfect scene. Oh, producer Jane read your mind, or producer Shout read your mind. To producer Jane, <laughs> one of us yeah. read your mind. Because I just felt that it's rare to see representation on screen, and here was Naveen Andrews, you know, looking really fit, <laughs> looking really fit, and here was a, a woman who really fancied him. And this is not something you see much on screen, you know, having a, an Asian guy being fancied. And there's a reason why lots of us Asians are watching Mindy Kaling's Four Weddings and a Funeral because there's a Pakistani character who has been described as a brown Ryan Gosling and you know everyone's fancying him and it's great to see and this was 1996 and it just didn't didn't happen for us and it was great to be able to see this kind of character so that was one of the reasons I went to see the film but then I was just captivated by the whole story I just thought that here was a film very long this is the length of a Bollywood film but without an interval <laughs> so you had to sit through it was like watching Avengers End game you know you had to have your bladder prepped to watch this film and I, I, I remember watching it like late night at ABC cinemas in Reading and uh, I was completely captivated and I think Juliet was one of those people who well she she was one of those people who drew me into that narrative and you know a lot of those scenes that she's in there's lots of light and fun bits where this is a very serious storyline and she makes it fun and she she's just glorious in it and I think she does have that face that face that just draws you into the screen and you just want to watch her and and of course I don't know if you've seen you you saw High Life <laughs> yes most recently yes that's an interesting <laughs> one made made by a woman and again very sensual <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also yeah. very scary so yeah that was the most uh, new film of hers that yeah. I watched so there are actually only only three I would say I don't think I've seen lots of her films and I'm now I think this has inspired me though to go back you and go a little hop onto to and uh, watch all those films. Well, mine is another quite sexual one. She does like to pick interesting films. It's called Elle, and it's uh, from 2011. She plays a writer for French Elle who's um, composing an article about prostitutes, and she meets up with two uh, high-class escorts, um, very young girls who are sleeping with, with much older men, and she finds herself rather sort of challenged by the sexual politics that she finds, but she's also kind of turned on, and it's a very interesting, provocative film. It comes from a female director. It's very female-centred, and it really is about the relationship between Minosha's character and the very temporarily present young women in her lives, as opposed to the men in her lives, who's her husband and her teenage son, who are kind of drifting around in the background. Now, I was writing for Elle in the UK, and when I watched this, I thought, gosh, I wish I had an apartment that nice. I'm not sure it's desperately true to life. Perhaps it is in Paris. But it's really worth seeing, and it also touches on something, um, no pun intended, that we've spoken about here at home before, which is masturbation in films. And there's a really interesting masturbation scene which focuses only on her face and it tells such a story and it also seems so realistic that people kept asking her come on you were really doing it weren't you apparently not uh, also notable featuring Joanna Kulig from Cold War who's since become more famous of course so um, Elle is still playing on Mubi we have a Mubi offer guys if you're not familiar with it I'll spell it M-U-B-I it's a streaming service that curates all the good films you don't have to sift through the dross um, you also get a free cinema ticket every week for a brand new film you can get a free month at Mubi.com slash girls on film so do join us there 
Right, moving on to our final section, our alternative Bechdel test. Now, regular listeners will know that we like to chat about the Bechdel test, um, but we've been mixing it up lately and we're thinking about having a girls on film test. So the Bechdel test is, um, to recap, a flawed but fun test where, one, you have to have two named women in the film, two, talking to each other, three, about something other than a man. And um, we felt the need for the alternative, so we've been road testing some ideas I don't think mine is perfect, but I'm going to float it past you guys because I wanted to come up with one rule that a lot of really great female-centered and representative films would pass. And then by association, I reckon it then passes a lot of other rules. So I'm getting very skeptical looks from Kirsty, but I'm going to go with it. My criteria is a woman gives a non-romantic monologue. Because when you think about it, most films, you know, most big dramas and comedies have men giving great big monologues about the world and that's all fine you don't get women doing many unless it's meg ryan telling tom hanks how much she loves him so i have opted for an example for this and it's on the basis of sex um, which came out last year it stars felicity jones as the judge ruth bader ginsburg army hammer as her husband it's a bit pedestrian in the telling but it has a great monologue which allegedly according to army hammer is the longest female monologue in a film of all time so it's um, a scene in the courtroom of Felicity Jones is tremendous and you can watch it on Amazon now and other recent passes for this criteria are among my films of the year so far so Booksmart they have speech about friendship that you find that in a lot of um, great sort of female focused buddy comedies eighth grade um, you have Elsie talking to the camera about self-image and another one that we've spoken about on Girls on Film Us would be a spoiler to say how us passes, but when you think about it, Lupita Nyong'o has some very interesting, definitely not romantic monologues. So, Kirstie, what are your thoughts on a test when I asked you to come up with one? Hmm, I'm going to be controversial. I really don't see the value in the tests at all. I think the Bechdel test is no test. actually uh, useless. Sorry to disappoint if anybody's kind of uses that as a, a measure, but firstly, it's a kind of, quantitative analysis being used as a qualitative one so for that in itself it's like it, it, it's useless for me so I have a real problem as you can tell with the very notion of the test so however I do think yours has um I think that's got some merit so you thanks, know I thanks, think we can, that can go through <laughs> yeah oh brilliant that's very kind of you but no I, I think we we always like to, to frame this section as it's a bit of an experiment yeah. and it's a starting point and it captures the imagination but thank you I think <laughs> no test is a valid answer Ashanti do you have a test for me so I came up with, and I'll go back and mention representation matters because that's something that I'm always looking out for in films. And for me, I wanted a non-white English-speaking career woman who delivers robust non-romantic dialogue in the film. And there's a current Bollywood film that's out at the moment called Mission Mongol, and that's pure Bollywood. It even has a big song and dance number. <laughs> a lot of women have taken umbrage, though, to the fact that there's a man, the big hero, is still a man and of course he is the guy at NASA so it wasn't like there was a woman in his place so he plays that role he has kind of downplayed that role so that the women around him do get their due due right and I don't know if you were all following uh, the, the mission mission called Mongolian when India was the first country to send uh, a, a satellite off to Mars and it, it did it in its first try, which was absolutely magic. And there was this iconic photo of women in saris, 
you know, and they were all celebrating. And, you know, when they brought that to life, I really, I absolutely loved it. I was like, how did they do it? These are women. We've seen hidden figures. So we know mm. that there have been women at NASA. And in, in India, they actually put together what I would say is a motley crew of some people who had lots of experience, some people who had none whatsoever. And they didn't want to give money to this mission. They didn't believe in this mission from day one. So the story is really inspirational already. But what really struck me was the fact that the, the project manager in this, Vidya Balan, one of India's finest actresses, she's got this annoying, whiny husband and she's got these two kids, you know, both teenagers. And there's this one scene where her daughter's ranting about the toothpaste finishing and she's going, Mom, I only use this toothpaste. I refuse. I can't go to the shop right now. Can you get toothpaste for me? And mom's like, no she gets her rolling pin and pushes out the last bit of toothpaste and then she hops in her car and goes to work into this this lab science lab and there she's a scientist so this for me is brilliant because the women in this when they talk to each other they're not talking about the men in their lives they're talking about science these are pure career women and that's something I love to see or see in cinema and I still think that a lot of films don't they don't encapsulate this this part or this facet of women you can be a mother you can be a dean <laughs> like Kirsty is you know Associate Dina, there you go. And that's what this film did. And uh, a lot of the other girl characters also, you know, uh, one of them had a husband who said, look, I want you to, this is your career, you've chosen it. Your work is as important as mine. And he was an army guy. And he said, look, I might be protecting our country. What you're doing is big for our country. Go out and do it. And I, I really like that because the men were used as punctuation in this film and the women were used to tell that story, which was absolutely brilliant thank you Perfect. Shanti thank you very much for your tests and thank you both for your feedback if people have got ideas about this or any other rules then please tweet to me at Anna Smith Journey we'd love to hear from you now a little bit of news and sort of current affairs before we end who saw Untouchable the rise and fall of Harvey Weinstein which aired on the BBC recently. Director Urshan Mafarman premiered it on TV and um, it really is a fascinating documentary and obviously talks about the victims of Weinstein and has um, great access to some of the unfortunate people who claim to have been abused by him. But it really highlights the importance of reporting sexual harassment and the power of women supporting each other. So a bit like what Wen Wad was saying, this is something you can do, something we can all do. Our friends at Time's Up have an important campaign. It's for sexual harassment duty. So, as you know, Time's Up UK is part of an alliance of unions, charities and women's rights groups who have launched a petition for new legislation that would require employers to take preventative measures to stop sexual misconduct in the workplace. So you can respond to this consultation, which closes on the 2nd of October 2019. Uh, search for the hashtag This Is Not Working and we'll put the link on our online page. So now before I do my thank yous, I would like to cut to the audience and say, do you have any questions or comments? So audience, we have a roving mic coming your way. and I'm expecting at least one. So get your thinking caps on. Um, I found it just really interesting a moment ago what you said about the Bechdel test because I've not heard a woman in film like come at it that way before and I kind of completely agree with you in some sense because I found really recently the way I've been thinking about it is like, because I, I really admire the Bechdel test and things like that. Like, I think there is good to it. Mm. But then when I enjoy a film that doesn't pass it or it's a tale mm. about a man, I kind of feel a bit bad. I've thought of a recent example was Thunder Road. Mm. I don't think there are two women in that film, but mm. I st still thought it was fantastic. And I'm wondering if you think that tests like that kind of almost 
dismiss films that aren't about women which is kind of like the opposite of what yeah, we do, of course, but it saying. is a weird kind of yeah, line, yeah. I think. Yeah, I just don't know what the purpose of those tests actually... I don't think it tells us very much. I think it's so limited. I know it was a kind of, you know, it came, what was it 1982 or something? It was, yeah, it was developed. And it's kind of been latched onto in a really odd way. I just don't know... There's no nuance, no complexity. It doesn't tell us anything about the real state of the industry. I think there's so many problems with it fundamentally that I don't... And I know I know what you're, you're saying. And what is it you said you don't like about it? It kind of feels like sometimes we can dismiss stories yeah. that, like, like Thunder Road, where it is a story about a man and his kind of journey. Mm. And it's like, oh, I shouldn't see that film because it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. You know, mm. there's not enough women in it. Mm. Which I kind of do feel about some films. Mm. But also... I don't want to not see a story that's not about a woman just because of that. Yeah, exactly. And and I think, um, you know, I've heard some people say that the Bechdel test is actually anti-feminist. Oh, that's really interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole uh, other lecture, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think I might actually agree with it because I just don't think that it has any, any way. And if we kind of use that as a baseline I'm, I'm not mm. sure what it actually tells us and it, it cuts out a lot, of, a lot of other really interesting complex nuanced films that was a great question on that note and I know you've you've been to our podcast before um you'll know that sometimes one of the reasons we pick the Bechtel test is is to highlight how problematic it is and I think I talked about mid-90s um from the same perspective because it's almost all male characters but it's really interesting investigation into you know male fragility which Thunder Road absolutely right is as well so that's a really great point Ashanti, you can say something. <laughs> I, I just have to say, there was one thing that bugged me a lot about my choice of English patient, and it's the fact that Harvey Weinstein was one of the producers. And mm. I had not, and back in the day when I saw it, I didn't notice that. And I was re-watching the film en route to Manchester today. And when I saw that, I cringed and I thought, ooh. And one of my questions is always, where do you draw the art from the artist? Or someone like this, where he is one of the producers, there's so many other people who worked on this film such a great cast and I still felt that little tinge of oh my gosh and yeah, I just want to say that I know what you mean I mean if we start wiping all Weinstein films out you know a lot of the canon is going to be gone sadly but um, it's a very valid point and I too mm. wince when I see that now um, I would like to thank Ashanti Omkar and Kirsty Fairclough so much for being here today round of applause for you guys you have been fantastic thank you very much I would also like to thank very much Wad Al-Khatib, who was absolutely tremendous. Everyone go and see Forsama. Thank you, Hedda Archbold, for producing. Jane Long for audio producing. Yes, claps for them. Claps for our producers. Um, thank you, Home Manchester, for having us, as always, of course. Mubi for partnering. And audience, thank you very much for coming. Please tell your friends, you loyal supporters. Um, we love everyone to spread the word. We are next at home in Manchester on October the 23rd. So put that in your diary. And we are at the London Podcast Festival on September the 12th, 2019. So that's next week. So uh, do join us at the London Podcast Festival at King's Place if you can. Thank you all very, very much for being Girls on Film. Thank you. Girls on Film is an HLA production produced by Hedda Archbold and Jane Long. The word woman does not appear even once in the U.S. Constitution. Nor does the word freedom.